Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where I, Tom Richardson, talk the business of sports with my colleague and friend, Joe Favorito. Joe, welcome. Hello, Tom. How are you? Good. Good to be back getting to rhythm on these uh, podcasts. I, I want to actually say I'm looking forward to having a conversation today that's not about COVID and not about lockdown and not about quarantining, but it's actually about some cool stuff uh, as it relates to media and marketing and the business right now, especially in the realm of digital and social media, which is, of course, everybody knows our favorite topic to discuss. And it really centers on storytelling, which I guess is your probably number one mantra. If there was one hashtag I would give Joe Favorito, it would be hashtag storytelling. So everybody, we've got a great guest today. It's someone that Joe and I are just getting to meet for the first time, although admittedly we did speak before the, the podcast. Um, and there's going to be a lot to talk about because she has a, a really cool background in the business and she's doing some amazing things right now that are right up our alley in this uh, sports business, particularly as it relates to media and digital. So please welcome Raleigh Gray, who has this incredible resume that includes some of the highest profile places in the business, such as University of Virginia, Vanderbilt, ESPN, Twitter, Players Tribune, and most recently, Wasserman. So Raleigh, welcome. Thank you guys. You can be my lead in and hype folks anytime. That's really, okay. I appreciate well, we can, it. <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we have a side hustle as publicists for our podcast guests. I actually have a full-time job doing that. Okay, great. We'll allow you to promote at the end of the show. So just, you Wonderful. Can, but, but you yeah. have to answer some questions first. So um, Raleigh, we, uh, as we told you, we like to uh, give our guests a chance to kind of tell their story for the edification of our audience. Um, your story is particularly interesting and probably will be quite inspiring to especially our students in this program. So why don't we start with that? Just rewind the tape a little bit. Give us a sense of how you got to where you are right now, having had all these interesting experiences over the last uh, eight or 10 years. Sure. Well, Tom and Joe, thanks again for having me and to all the students listening for lending your ear for this time. I sincerely appreciate it. Um, but my story is one that I will say uh, basically can be categorized as if at first you don't succeed, try, try, keep trying again. Um, I was the kid who, and I'm sure you guys did this, but you got to put together a time capsule when you were in like eighth grade. And I did that. I put together a time capsule and I said, I want to work at ESPN. And at that time, I thought it was just someone on TV, right? I didn't know anything about the business. I just thought television, sports, love those things. That's what I'm going to do. So when I got to UVA, I had played uh, high school athletics. I got injured pretty badly, so I wasn't able to pay collegiate. And I found every opportunity to stay involved in sports, just because I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I worked in the sports information office. Thankfully, oh, wow. at that time, Virginia was opening a brand new arena. So a lot of pomp and circumstance, really good excuse to get to know a lot of people. And I was working at the ACC tournament uh, that year because Virginia is part of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And I was running stats. And most students won't believe that you literally ran pieces of paper up arena steps or delivered them to Dick Vitale on the sideline, et cetera. And everyone asked to do the sideline delivery, obviously, because that's what got you on TV. But I wanted to go to the suites because I knew exactly where Johnny Swafford and all of the guys who went to Carolina who were working at ESPN were sitting. And that's who I wanted to see. So I was lucky enough to meet a lot of those people and get a summer internship at ESPN. I will caveat that with the, if at first you don't succeed, I do have a letter that says we cannot extend an internship to you this summer and I pushed really hard knowing that before the ACC tournament to get in with them so it's not always easy to get this resume stacked up and that is bottom line for this whole conversation um, but I managed to turn that into a full-time opportunity once I got there I sort of looked around and thought this is amazing but I said I wanted to do this when I was 12 and I'm 22 I gotta find another dream so I'd had some amazing times and learnings at ESPN 
but I pivoted quickly and went back to business school because that was going to teach me a lot of things outside of what I already had kind of experienced working in marketing and affiliate sales and those things. Went to business school, great experience. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm cur curious. Did you actually move up to Bristol or were you working in New York City? It's a great question. I was lucky enough, and I say lucky enough because I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I went to Charlottesville for college to be in New York. And I learned as much from the city of New York mm -hmm. as I did from my role. So, so, what, so was, West 66th Street? <laughs> exactly. West yeah. 66th, mm -hmm. 605 Third Avenue, and right. then 34th Street were all my offices That's right. at one time or another. And you guys may not remember this. If you do, Thank you. But ESPN invested in their own MVNO, meaning their own cell yeah. phone. And yeah. that was the first business oh, yeah. I worked on. <laughs> One of the great failures <laughs> of all times. Uh, by, by the exactly. way, it was, a, it was a billion dollar plus disaster for the company. It One, was. Of, one of the biggest <laughs> fails in the history of tech, I might add. You but know, we don't even talk about that. No, but you know what? It's great to actually cover it because you think of them at that time as being this behemoth that was just firing all cylinders and right. everything they did turn to gold. But the best thing they did with that was admit they were wrong. And immediately the iPhone came out mm -hmm. when I was working right. for them. So they were a step ahead to create an app. And that's yeah. where I got to be on the new media side of things oh, super wow. early. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was great. So business school was definitely the right decision because I got to learn things that I had an experience from a finance and accounting side operations, just traditional business structures. And I really wanted to put that in practice. So I shipped myself out to San Francisco, having done a finance role for my summer internship in between business school. I was couch surfing. I did not have a job. I know I disappointed the Vanderbilt career management folks when I turned down my offer at Credit Suisse uh, to continue in their program full time. And I said, I want to work in tech and here's how I'm going to plan my days. And it had come up to about six weeks without any bites. I was going to move home and figure something out. And I get a call from Twitter, thanks to a lot of connections, um, mainly with UVA. And I botched that first interview in a big way. It was a gentleman um, from Google who gave me a case study. I wasn't prepared for it. How many basketballs are there in the US? Completely modeled them poorly. I didn't wow. do it off households. What? I did it off people. I know. Those Google people. That was, a, was that a live, was that, was that a given to you in advance or was that a live question? It was not. It was a live question over the wow. phone while the I would have just gotten up and left, left Stop. the Stop. I mean, this, that's, <laughs> come on. So. so the best part of that story though is the gentleman who hit me with that question and admittedly I got off the phone full tears, started packing my apartment but emailed and said, can we please try this again? And he accepted, became wow. my boss. And I have an email from him saying, with some expletives in a good way, I was a real idiot. I'm so glad we took you on. So <laughs> who, who he's now was one that? of my closest friends. Uh, who was he's, a gentleman, he's a gentleman named Dan Green. Um, he now works at Impossible uh, Meats and does a lot of their sales side of stuff. He's pivoted from Google to Twitter to other stuff and now there to kind of run that business as a tech business. And uh, I don't think he'll care that I mention it because he's awesome. Mm -hmm. nice. So before, before we uh, let you go on to Twitter and talk about Twitter, did you um, at UVA, did you cross paths with the legendary Rich Murray at all? I worked for Rich when Rich I was Murray in is a legend, yeah. an absolute legend. So. I'm so happy to hear that as well. I always thought the same. So one quick story. Yeah, so legendary. But one, one very funny story was 100 years ago when I was in the SID business, and it was almost 100 years ago, um, every year at the COSIDA convention, they used to do this thing called the Hoostag, which was put together by Rich Murray and a friend of mine named Jay Williams, who was at Fairfield. And it would be kind of this rogues gallery of people drinking Genesee beer until three or four o'clock in the morning. Genesee. Yeah. Nice. With, um, Upstate New York. Yeah. With the, and because one of the guys who led it was a guy named Wally Johnson, who was the SID for about 150 years at St. Lawrence University. So, um, so the Hoostag became this legendary thing that people did if you were like not willing to go and, and you know, worry about your schedule making that day at Cosida. So, but Rich Murray, I was at the original Hoostag with Jay Williams and Rich Murray way before you were born, Raleigh. And, uh, you know, those are the memories that, that you kind of get. But talk about someone learning from a legend. I mean, he, one of, first of all, one of the great people, but also um, one of the, the more innovative people in, in a business, which sometimes on the sports information side becomes kind of like, you know, 
doing stats and that's all you did. So, but Virginia was never that way, which was great. So. By the way, Raleigh, you said you had to run actual paper back and forth. Oh, and yeah. you, I mean, your job, Joe was running stone tablets. Yes. As we, were, we were building the stone tablets at the time. So. <laughs> quite, and, quite chiseled. Yeah. I know. I see. So along those lines, one more thing before I forget. So Tom, I don't know. We've talked about Almost Famous before uh, a couple times, and it's been on recently again. Yeah, great, uh, great, great story, Cameron Crowe. Yeah. And in there, there's one of my favorite lines of all time when he calls uh, the offices at um, Rolling Stone and and Ben Fong Torres gets on the phone and we want you to go to the Daily News and use this thing called a mojo. It's state of the art. It prints a page every 18 minutes. And that's how we want you to send the story. So, that's anyway. great. Joe, a quick tw quick trivia question on, on that movie. Who played the Rolling Stone boss? That guy you just referenced. Ooh, Raleigh, do you know? The Rolling Stone boss? So the guy who the, played- The guy with the Rolling Stone, like, I want to say it's somebody famous, and I'm. I want to say Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman played his boy. His his yeah. um, his like the small magazine that he came from. Cream. Uh, of Cre yeah, like the Cre Okay, whatever. Um, but but the best. All right, so I, we don't want to keep going on trivia yeah. about that movie. <laughs> but you know, you know who plays the manager who comes and gets them, right? Mm, I don't remember. Jimmy Fallon. Really? Wow. Yes, and Jimmy Fallon has one of the best lines ever when he's talking to him about taking them over. And, you know, he's talking about growing the, the band's footprint for years. And he stands up and he goes, you don't think like Mick Jagger is going to be jumping around on the stage at 50, do you? So, so. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds Jimmy like you Fallon's spent some time watching and rewatching that movie, Joe. But anyway, and let's get back to Raleigh. Twitter. <laughs> Please, this is much better than me. Let's keep going. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you... Oh, you yeah. You you tried to you tried to do an ESPN smartphone and you failed and then you got <laughs> and failed. Yeah, I tried to get on. into Twitter, failed, but then succeeded. And I was lucky enough to be early at Twitter where they had not established a sales strategy or anything to sell. So I got to help work with our product managers and product marketing to build whether it was in-app purchases or things that sort of already existed at our competitors and build the sales engine move into supporting our athletes on the platform. And then at the very end of my tenure, I was uh, supporting our then CFO who became COO, Anthony Noto, who had been yeah. uh, the prior yeah. CFO well, of the yeah, NFL. Yeah. He yeah. is amazing. Uh, and yeah. I had the good fortune of working with him and propping up our live strategy. So you may recall that Twitter had 10 games that they were tricasting right. on live on Twitter before mm -hmm. Amazon bought the NFL rights and getting that up and running from a product perspective, from a business perspective uh, was most of what I spent my last year there doing. And it was phenomenal. Very cool. My husband hates this branding, but I say, unfortunately I got married and had to move and I then left Twitter because of that. Um, he, he, he claims, you know, oh, you're in marketing. Shouldn't you rebrand that? I'm like, no, that's exactly what happened. I love Twitter. and You made me leave. Uh, so <laughs> I moved to nice. Charlotte, North Carolina. But the minute we got married, I relocated to New York and we split time. So that's where I picked up on starting wow. sort of my own consulting and then took on Players Tribune. Wow. Okay. So just go back to Twitter for a second. I'm curious the time you were there when you got into the helping the athletes, who are the big, who are the big great tweeters among big athletes at that point in history? Honestly, at that time. So that was uh, 2016 and the right. platform had a interesting problem, which has since been remedied because they have an amazing CEO or CMO. CAO, yes, but CMO Leslie Berlin, who came from Amex, who has really shifted the understanding of what Twitter is. But you guys may not have known because you are so into the platform itself. When you go to Google and you type in, I don't get, and you can get an immediate response. Right. If you typed in in 2016, I don't get, I don't get Twitter was the first thing that popped up. Really? And that was a problem. People didn't understand how to use it. So making sure that athletes felt supported. And at that time, it was anyone from, you know, a LeBron James to the newest draft pick whose profile was going to instantly change. That's who we were really working with. So, so that time frame was that pre-Vine, post-Vine, during Vine? Mid-Vine, if you Mid -vine. will. Yeah. Uh, so Vine joined us, I want to say in 2015. I may be misquoting that, but it was certainly around that time. Mm -hmm. And Vine, as 
you guys are again well aware really changed the way that pre-roll marketing works so whatever you see in front of the content six seconds became something normal and that's what vine was it was a six second video medium that was supposed to tell a story very quickly and luckily people got used to it yeah ahead of its and, time. Then, and then snapchat stole it Six seconds. Yeah, I, mean, I can as, neither confirm nor deny. I mean, no, no one, no one owns six seconds. So uh, you just—it's just funny how everybody settled on six seconds. There must have been some psychologists involved or something. Exactly. Um, exactly. Anyway, so so continue um, post Twitter and post your consulting work. You ended up and you did Players Tribune relatively briefly. It sounds like. Yeah. What, what did you learn in that job about the growing interest and? uh activity among athletes essentially becoming media media channels and media brands yeah absolutely the players tribune has such an interesting value proposition and there are a couple reasons i went to go work for them first and foremost most of the team that had been accumulated i actually worked with back at espn uh in 2006 and 7 and 605 with that phone the ill-fated mm -hmm. phone um and being around people that you really like to work with when there's a challenge is awesome so I was working with them, also some former Twitter folks, tweets as we call them, and understanding how athletes want to use their platform to tell their story and to, um, you know, your point of Joe loving storytelling, to own that story. Uh, it was something that was really fascinating that Players Tribune was doing very well and still continues to do very well because they have the trust of that side. Um, so it was really fascinating to not only see that, but put it into practice and then find ways to scale it, which is, of course, what they're continuing to work on today. Hey, Raleigh, I want to ask you a specific question about Players Tribune that always, um, that I've been thinking about for years, because every semester my digital class, my digital media class, one of the papers is about attacker brands, so newer brands that are attacking the status quo. And I would say every semester, at least a couple of people pick the Players Tribune, since it's still relatively new. What a lot of people have noticed, and this comes after we had studied digital media for the first month or so, is that, as you probably know, that platform does not allow user commentary on the stories. I say that is a huge fail, and I got to believe it's a factor in them not having the success I think a lot of people thought they would have. You know, they were sold last year to Minute Media. And so I'm not disparaging it because I do believe it's a good platform, but it seems like a fundamental premise of modern interactive communications was missed by not providing a forum for the readers to actually go a little bit deeper and engage more. Am I missing something or is that a fair criticism? I would say it's a fair criticism, but I don't know. And again, I wasn't in the first room with Derek and Jamie when they started the platform, but I do believe that what they were trying to cut through was a lot of that noise that oftentimes platforms that allow for the commentary or perhaps former employers of mine that just air a story and have mm -hmm. consistent commentary right. around right. it um, to kind of eliminate that and just say, this is the story as it is. And if the athlete felt comfortable in posting it to their digital channel, that's where some of that exchange would happen. But I think what they were trying to achieve was really, let's just put it in black and white, much like their logo and their branding mm -hmm. of here's what it is. And you can push back on me, but you won't do it here. Those things sort of already existed. So yes, I, I agree with you. There's always the next step to take it to if you feel like you're going to have a conversation and that's what a lot yeah. of their pieces are about. But I think they felt that that medium existed and they were creating a safer space for the athletes and continue okay. to do that's, so. That's a fair, that's a fair response. Yeah, I'm still not sure if, if it's, there might've been, I mean, we, we can get off this, but there might've been a, a way to do it. That was a good compromise. It just feels like they probably gave up a lot of um, minutes of engagement, ultimately stuff that drives value in digital media by essentially pushing any of that conversation to other environments, which they didn't really, get value from frankly so anyway um, sure okay so after after pt you moved on to wasserman 
Wasserman. Yes. So I joined Wasserman a little over a year ago, my first foray into an agency. Uh, and it's been awesome. You know, we have two sides of our house. We have talent and then we have brands and properties and learning how those two interact or learning directly on the talent side about agents and athletes and those relationships that I hadn't been privy to before has been awesome. Uh, but my current role, based on my background, is to help, along with the support of the rest of our team, a group called Athlete Exchange. And we just effectively help athletes with their digital channels and understanding the value of them and why they should invest in them and then helping them to create that content. So let's talk about Athlete Exchange. Um, two questions. One is you look at things like Influencer or Open Doors, which have built a business on literally on the backs of thousands of athletes, bringing them opportunities for brands to engage in the social space. How is it different? And then how, if I'm looking at this and I'm an agent at Athletes First, CAA, CAA, IMG, why would I let my athlete go and do something with Wasserman when they have representation? Two questions. Yeah, absolutely. So to your first question about the existing platforms, be it Influencer, or Open Doors, or Greenfly, those are actually folks that we are really working with uh, to some extent because a lot of our athletes are already on those platforms, whether it's through league partnerships or if they were at a university that utilizes Influencer. Um, so those are things that because it helps their digital footprint to have access to that content, we, we love those guys. And it's different because what we're trying to do in two different sides, there's certainly the business side and the organic side. The organic side is what I spend most of my days focusing on, but obviously building the business is important as well. The way we're different from them is that everything we generate is typically through a conversation with the athlete to tell their story off the court, ice or field. And they're sharing with us things that matter to them, that's important. And then it comes directly from their channel. So it's not the pre-programmed things that these awesome platforms allow the delivery of, open door screen play, et cetera, allow the seamless nature of posting those things. We actually get to the root to help with them for what they're gonna post. And on the other side, on the competitive side, um, we obviously wanna be able to service athletes to help them get additional revenue opportunities. And that's where we're working hand in hand with other agencies because they certainly want to and have the goal of getting their athletes uh, compensated for deals. And if we can bring them to them in a way that's helpful, we're happy to. And can you give us a couple of examples that you really take pride in so far? Yeah, I'll have to think about that. We've had uh, quite a few uh, to date, which is great. But typically where we're seeing the most success is when there's a brand that is not a title sponsor. So let's say it's the playoffs for a league and this particular bank um, doesn't have the access to using words like playoff or whatever the league or teams, et cetera, are, but they want to play in the space to your point of sort of the attacker brand earlier. Mm -hmm they would pay us to put together a campaign and have in some instances, and I can share that with you guys as a, as a follow-up more directly, um, but not be as vague about what I'm talking about, but they engage with the athletes to then put together that program. And that way they're still relevant during a time when people aren't paying attention to them. And because they're trying to use athletes that are around that game, not participating, they go to different agencies to get the right people to tell that story. Um, so that one's been really great. And then certainly our athletes all have individual things that they work on, whether it's a retail sponsor like Adidas or Nike, apparel, obviously, et cetera, or individual ones that are more localized. And we just help them satisfy those things so that it's easy and turnkey. And particularly if it's the middle of their season, many of which, as I know, um, haven't been right now, but if it's the middle of their season, then we can help them satisfy those things in a way that doesn't take away from the game they play. So, so following up on that, and I'll only use the word ambush once. Okay. How do you, how does Wasserman as a company that does big events as well, avoid conflicts where you have a sponsor that you've sold in for a title sponsor yet someone may come to you and say, this is, you know, Outback Steakhouse Bowl, you know, can you go get us something with, you know, another state company? How do you, how do you overcome that? Or how do you say we can't do that because of that? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And typically we've been pretty agnostic just because of where we sit. We are our own company within the company. So that helps us kind of put up some guardrails uh, in that we are tunnel vision on our goal and role and we can keep out the noise and obviously the competitive things that are necessary from the brands and properties that are on the other side uh, that we won't always communicate with where we need to not to. Okay. Raleigh, based on your experience with athletes at Twitter, PT, and Athlete Exchange, let me ask you this question. Are good new age media personalities born or are they made? Ooh. Ooh, Tom. Very Gary Vee-ish with that question. Well, I just, it it just feels like sometimes, and and this is your answer, but I'll just add a quick perspective that there's this notion in, in digital media is like everybody needs to be a creator. Everybody's got to put stuff out there. Everybody's got to tell their story, but let's admit it guys, not everybody's good at or wants to be telling their story 24 seven. Now, plenty of people love to do that, but it, it is a little bit of a talent. I would say in terms of the way you ideate and things like that and how creative you are, and whether it's in our personal lives with friends and family or even professionally, some people just have no interest in doing it. Some people just are really gifted at doing it. And I doubt they went to school for it, if you know what I mean. So I'm curious about what you think about that question and whether you provide any training. Like, can you turn um, a bad media person into a good media person? Born or made turn them good or bad. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. So if I stutter a bit, please That's forgive okay. me. Um, but I'm I just trying say, to stump you with some new questions. Yeah, well, you're going to, <laughs> clearly. Um, but I would say that it's a hybrid and that's a cop-out, but I'll get there and you'll see why. I think you're born with the innate personality that has to come through a device, right? It's mm-hmm. not something that a lot of people can do and do well, but if you can, then you're able to make yourself into something different. We can always train people about how to use platforms. And there's a ton of data that derives into a best practice or something along those lines. You can be an expert as long as you stay up on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. You can figure out that, YouTube certainly as well. But you have to still have that personality to actually make it happen. And you have to have the interest because quite frankly, it's a lot of work. Yeah. If you don't have the interest. And it never stops. Make... Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And if you have to be reactionary, et cetera, it's something that you really have to have an interest in. And we work with our athletes based on signals that they give us to say they're interested. We're never going to force them to do this if it is just not their bag. And that's fine. Um, yeah. We just want to share the value, share our knowledge and, share that it's up to them. Quick follow-up. I know Joe has a question, but I want to do a quick follow-up. One of your athletes is Alex Morgan, Morgan, correct? Yes. Right. So she's probably, if not the most famous female athlete in America, a top three. Is that fair to say? She's got some teammates that we represent as well with. Yeah. I mean, again, that that crowd of like super successful, you know, women's national team players. So yeah, we know who they are. And they, they are the, the, the biggest female sports inspirations probably in the business right now, which is great. Because they're so famous in social media, what part of the agenda of their, when they're in creator mode and media personality mode can be proactive versus reactive? So if something goes out on social media tonight about Alex Morgan, whether it's fair or not, or whether it's important or tri- you know, trivial, doesn't really matter. Suddenly Alex Morgan is all over Twitter and Instagram or something like that. Do you advise these players to jump into the fray and deal with some of the reactive elements of this? Or are you, or are you telling them to stick to their knitting and be more proactive as much as they can be in terms of driving their own narrative? We typically lend on the side of if it is something that they would like to engage in because that is part of who they are, go for it. And certainly agents and others that surround them will chime in on some thoughts or scenario planning just so they can play a little devil's advocate to let them know the various outcomes. But at the end of the day, if we put them in too much of a box, 
Mm. Obviously, that's not the way that people are. We're multidimensional. You have tons of things that drive you to be successful. It's just that they're known, these athletes, typically for one thing. So I'm advising them at all times to stay true to who they are. And if they get into a conversation and they need some help getting out of those weeds, happy to advise, but really want them to be unique and them and authentic to that. Do you ex explicitly advise them to stay out of politics? No. Okay, so if they choose to weigh in on current events, political situations, issues, it's, it's cool. Absolutely. I mean, you run, the risk, you run the risk of alienating a certain percentage of the audience, obviously, but that's up to them. Absolutely. Again, okay. the part of the multi-dimensional nature of who they are, right. if it's showcasing them and they understand the elements you just talked about, by all means, yeah. be you. And, and in your personal opinion, how engaged in sensitive political and, and social matters should good athlete creators be? I mean, you see like LeBron was in the news this week because uh, of you know, the, the, the tragedy in, in, in Georgia. Um, should, they, should they lean in on that stuff, do you think? Or is, again, does it go back to, it depends, on, it depends like on the personality. And Joe, I'd like to get your opinion too, since you advise these yeah. folks and these companies as well. Um, I mean, I, I think it's up to the athlete. I mean, you, you, the, one, of the, one of the things that people have always misunderstood about, quote, media training, is that you can only lead a horse so far before they have to decide whether they want to drink it or not. Um, and as long as you're advising them, that's up, that's up to whoever the person is, whether you're an athlete or, you know, somebody just happens to be on Twitter. I, I think that's, that's the most you can do. Um, as long as they understand what the consequences are of what they say, that's, you know, that's part of being an adult or sometimes an underage athlete who happens to have a good form. So that's my opinion anyway. Raleigh? Yeah, you know, the old mantra we had at Twitter was think before you tweet. And just like anything, <laughs> nice. uh, yeah. your footprint will be out there. So if you yeah. are going to get behind something, you know, to Joe's point, just understand that words have power and therefore oftentimes action. And as long as you're prepared for that, and as long as you feel comfortable sharing who you are with the masses, by all means. Mm -hmm. um, we certainly never want to put a muzzle on somebody to say, don't be you, because not do, because doing that would then inevitably have them trip over themselves at some point, because perfection is definitely not in anyone who is a human's mentality, right? There's always going to be something that you need to share. Uh, and if you're being muzzled, it's, it's not something that's going to be an option for you. Raleigh, it's, it's, here's another heavy question. Is um, are, as different media outlets figure out what to do in terms of athlete media, athlete driven media, as we call it in my class, um, is it a zero sum game? Can Players Tribune now under the auspices of Minute Media lead against uninterrupted, which is LeBron James, Maverick Carter? Um, versus the direct-to-consumer, let's call it, of the accounts of individual athletes that are really famous, uh, Ronaldo, LeBron James, et cetera, uh, versus the attempts by different properties like ESPN to, still, to continue to engage athletes for, for media creation purposes. Like, how much can the market sustain? Like, and how do you think it'll play out over the next few years? You know, I have this conversation a lot, and so it is a heavy question. There's no real right answer, but I think what you've seen over time, because I don't know about you guys, but I used to get Sports Illustrated, and I would open straight to the back page with Rick Riley, and that was the first thing I read, yeah. right? And, and I was actively- And Steve Russian, too. He was oh, really good. Yeah. yeah, you just actively chose exactly what you had that magazine for, and then you went through the rest, and that was your content pack there. Content since then, has expanded and, and now it's going to contract, I think, in such a way that much like the Facebook shift to community and their algorithm, everyone has their niche and need for this type of content. So you go to Players Tribune to hear some depth of story. You go to Uninterrupted to hear depth of diversity, different types. There's a, there's a reason for everything, including the social platforms that come out. So as long as each of these are playing to their culture, 
and their purpose and their community, I think you'll continue to see that athlete-driven media play out just in the different roles that it plays for those organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of how I think of it, but there's so much content out there. You do have to pick your noise. Right. So, so two things on that. One is there was a time when athletes, male or female, would come along and their agent would have them go or they'd be interested in buying a restaurant or a club or whatever it was they were investing in. Then suddenly they all became tech you know, whizzes and they all knew everything about the tech space, which I've worked with a lot of athletes and some of them don't know a lot about the tech space, but they thought they were going to be. Then something you just touched on, everybody wants to be a content creator now. And there are endless number of athletes who have now created their own quote content businesses, not with a lot of content coming out of the other side, because it's hard to do, as you said. Um, So you just said something about a contraction. Why, why do you believe that? And then the other piece of that would be, because um, I haven't heard anybody say that really. Uh, then the other, the other side of that would be authenticity, which you also touched on, and how much of it is the actual athlete, him or her, or him or her's, quote, team, handing it off where they're, you know, I've seen the famous pictures or been around them where you're handing your phone off to somebody else to tweet for you. So is it really them and how important is them? And then why do you think there's going to be a contraction? So to the first point of them, uh, I used to love and certainly don't want to necessarily bring politics into it but from a best practice perspective. When Barack Obama was in the White House, you knew which tweets were his because Mm -hmm. they would illustrate that for you. And I love the idea of that because we're all too aware when you see an athlete on the court, field, ice, et cetera. And then you see a tweet come out from, you knew they didn't have their phone in their hand. You're watching them at that time. Yeah, exactly. I'm so confused, right? We know it wasn't you. It was a handler or somebody around you. So I like being able to denote and people are smart enough. So let's not play into the thinking that they're idiots for that point um, and give them that ownership. So I like being able to cut through that and share. I think that's something that's really important so that you're not misled. On the other side of the athlete content business, and keep me honest to the exact question, I see it as more, going back to your other side of it, ownership of whatever they're putting out into the space. Because like we talked about a minute ago with athlete-driven media, if you put out an Instagram video, it used to be that they would just sort of throw it up there without any attribution. And now they're saying this came from the at handle of that athlete. And that's where these content businesses really allow for athletes to own themselves and own whatever they're putting together. So I'm interested to see how they play out. I think certain athletes can have them and support them based on their status and standing and trajectory over time. And we'll see what that looks like. Um, But I don't look at it so much as constantly creating their own content so much as owning what they're already putting out there. So it still can contract it a little bit. Got it. All right. I got one last question before we start getting into the the final segment. Um, What percentage, Raleigh, in your opinion, of professional athletes are making some money through influence marketing, influencer marketing? If they have great representation, hopefully. Oh, good answer. Snap. (laughs) If they work with Wasserman and Athlete Exchange, they're just making money hand over fist. You said it, Tom, not me. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but seriously, because it's, I mean, you think about an NFL team and you've got maybe four or five skill position players, or you had some def- defensive players, maybe seven or eight players that have an appreciable profile in, in, in our culture. And, and you've got like a lot of guys that just are literally not known by any big audiences. So are we looking at it? I, I imagine the answer would vary by sport. Like in a sport like basketball, it's gotta be a higher percentage, less players. And there's a lot of famous guys on in the starting fives. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I literally, as you were talking, thought about the nuances to it. And it is yeah. by sport because if you think about the profiles, and again, my opinion, but I'm sure they're shared having talked to a lot of folks, if you think about the profile of an NBA athlete, 
they don't have a helmet like an NFL athlete. So you can see them and you assimilate with them more. Whether you're an NHL athlete, and there was an advertisement this year, um, I was watching more Canadian threads on NHL TV, but it was all about we. And that's the way the game is in hockey. Yeah. They're very much a we sport. Culturally, so they, yeah. mm-hmm. culturally. So they don't necessarily want to step out of that to have right. some big social media point. presence alone. And then you think of the MLB, those guys get paid to play a lot of money. And therefore, they may just not take the time during the season because they're recovering or doing something else post-game that social stuff just doesn't matter to them. So there are nuances by sport. And there's certainly scale based on, you know, whether you're recognized or not, whether you're Russell Wilson versus the, you know, 39th man on the Hawks. But it's interesting. Uh, And it's definitely something that will grow over time, particularly coming out of a time when sports haven't been active in the games where people Mm -hmm. have really only had their social platforms as their voice. Yeah. And and social engagement has been good during this lockdown it's been interesting to watch joe did you have a, a final yeah, thought on the yeah, conversation before we get to the last yeah. two, okay. um the steps you've taken university of virginia um espn twitter players tribune can you think of a couple people or instances that really influence you going forward you mentioned anthony noto um some other people we talked a little bit about rich murray are there a couple of people that that really gave you the right advice at that time and what did you learn from them along the way? Sure. Uh, wow. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have had some amazing mentors across my entire career, whether I knew they were mentors or not, whether it was like my high school soccer coach who would say stuff like, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. And now I think about that all the time. And that was a long time ago. Um, So whether it was Tim Wallace in high school soccer at Harpeth Hall, where I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, or whether it was the Dean of Students at UVA who really pushed me when I knew I couldn't do athletics to say, hey, there's a whole world here at UVA why don't you explore? So I was also with Rich Murray, who you already mentioned, but I was thinking about student self-governance, this big thing we have at Virginia, um, and Barry Parkhill, who was an athlete there, who now I refer to as 2D. He's my second dad uh, and really takes care of me from the, the business perspective. Um, to ESPN when I was an intern, and I actually talked to this gentleman this morning, Matt Kenny. He still works at ESPN and has shifted different roles, but he, when I was an intern, let me speak to every C-suite in the office. I oh. sat in George Bodenheimer's office. I was with uh, Russell Wolf, who was the head of international at the time, Ed Durso. <laughs> I sat with the CEO, Kristen Dreesen, and I was an intern, but he gave me that to say, wow, you can great. do this, go learn. Um, Dustin Connolly and his wife uh, were major influences at ESPN for me because they picked me up uh, as an undrafted free agent out of college and I got to have a full-time role. Uh, and at Twitter, I already mentioned Dan Green and um, bosses like Liat Basel and then certainly Anthony Noto who has um, some uh, military pedigree in him. He also was raised in a strong Italian family. Yeah, he's a West Point grad um, and his mom, Sounds like she was a remarkable woman, um, but she uh, definitely instilled in him a will to work hard and learn. And then other female mentors, Melissa Brenner at the uh, NBA could not be my bigger champion. I don't know how I got to know her and Matt. I think I ran into her uh, on spring break with her kids and sent some cocktails over on, on behalf of Twitter. And all of a sudden we were good friends. So wow. um, I think- <laughs> That's a good story. I, yeah, you know, the, nice. the point is just make friends and then hopefully yeah. uh, they'll want to take care of you. But yeah, I, those are a lot of names, but it's been a, a whole village that's made it possible for me. Wow. So that's terrific, Brawley. Just <laughs> thank you. Uh, that's, that's really good stuff. Um, and it's a good segue into our final couple of questions. And I'm going to reverse them. We usually ask uh, uh, about your, your knowledge acquisition first, but, I, but you, just, you just had a great line, like just make friends you know, for, for someone who's been uh, as fortunate as you with the experience you've had, you've got an amazing, it sounds like you've an amazing network. So uh, that's awesome. And it sounds like you very early on realized the importance of a strong network, but can you offer any other specific career advice, particularly to the young people listening? Sure. I've got two pieces. One Anthony Noto gave me, 
and it's make your footprint bigger than your foot, obviously, meaning you know like exactly. That. It's awesome, right? It just, it lingers. Yeah. It's great. Uh, you do, you do. Um, but it's, Just it's wear larger really, shoes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You, you know, you have the size of your foot and you've got to think bigger than that, but you also have to, you know, stand strong. You have to do your job well if you're trying to think outside of your job and all of those things. So um, there's that one. And then I, I won't use the expletive for, for this crew, but don't be a jerk. This industry is one where you're going to run into the, the same word, people. Right well, yeah. good, great. We'll uh, we'll put that in some, yeah. you know, there'll be some right. we'll dollar edit that signs. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah, edit that in, please. Um, but don't be a jerk. You're going to be around people, make yep. friends, be a friend. Don't always do something just because uh, you're asking something of somebody else. Do something for them, and then maybe if you need them later, they'll they'll be able to offer that support. But uh, it's very important to think of these people as people and not just professionals. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Uh, and then finally, how do you stay smart? What do you read? What do you listen to? Who do you follow? I appreciate your thinking I'm smart at the outset because I was okay. not the best student. So the stay smart uh, okay. mantra you just gave me, I'll, I'll take it. Okay, good. But honestly, what I do is listen and not just listen, actively listen, whether it's to podcasts like this. Stuff, really? <laughs> Raleigh obviously did her guys. homework on our podcast show. <laughs> but you, you have to actively listen and you can't just think about the next thing you're going to say or the next question you have. You really have to evaluate those things. So even if you're taking notes, go back and think about something that said, create your own opinion, challenge somebody on it, but be willing to say you're wrong. Um, mm -hmm. So actively listening is really how I say smart and that could be listening to learn about a podcast it could be about newsletters i look at uh, you know the daily from the times in the morning then i also look at axios hashtag front office forwards and sbj just to make sure i've gotten the full suite right. and then i'll listen to to friends as they talk about um stuff and the other side of staying bar smart is staying balanced i make sure i get one hour of working out every day just because and that honestly could be on the peloton just watching some netflix thing that sounded right. quite hip to put all those things together really? <laughs> uh, but staying staying balanced and having an hour to yourself to process that stuff allows for the creativity that makes you smart and makes you a better more active listener are you a podcast fan i am absolutely so what do you what do you like other than the daily you know, uh, other than the daily and other than the cusp, um, <laughs> I'm you. a big fan of how, you know, Simmons and his podcast will roll into the Spotify portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, something really great to, to listen to. We have a lot of athletes that have rolled out podcasts. So a lot of my time is listening to those and really figuring out what works for their audience. Who, and a who, lot of the stuff. Ones, Raleigh, just out of curiosity. That you like to one more time. I'm so sorry. Who are some of the athletes that you, uh, podcasts that you like to listen to? Yeah, so there's a gentleman named Carl Scott at the Players Tribune who's their head of audio, and he put together the Knuckleheads. It's done phenomenally well, uh, and I really just like the way that they curate it. But a lot of our athletes uh, in some of their more recent downtime have um, started to do podcasts, and you'll start to see stuff from Sue Bird and Megan Rapino and extensions of some things they're already doing. So a lot of my time is lent to making sure that those have some uh, wings to succeed. Great. Amazing. Uh, okay, so how do we? How do people find you and follow you? If you really want to. If they really um, want to. Yeah. So uh, they call my husband John Gray USA, which is why I acquiesce and I am R A Gray USA. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can find me there on Twitter and on Instagram. And then my uh, personal website for work is must love sports sold out. No, no heart like I heart New York, although I do um, mustlovesports.com. And it's really just an opportunity. We put out newsletters and things like that, but it's an opportunity to collaborate with others uh, and have a shared connection to challenge sort of where we're going, much like you guys are doing with these tough questions today. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not back in school. I would fail miserably but oh, thank you, you. <laughs> no it was, it was terrific joe is there anything else you want to say or ask um yeah you know what because uh, we didn't touch on it you want to give us the two minutes on must love sports yeah sure. I, I, I just realized you as you were answering the question how we forgot to bring that up so yeah two You're minutes is fine. fine i thought you were gonna ask me to get you verified and i was gonna uh, in this sorry abruptly. i already am but thank you <laughs> there you go that's it that's i have verification envy with joe <laughs>
someday, Tom, someday. Okay, someday. Uh, yeah. I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> so Must Love Sports uh, actually arose out of my move from uh, San Francisco back east and just was an opportunity. Honestly, I had some great quarters when I worked with DraftKings and FanDuel when they were battling uh, it out. And I had the opportunity to take some of that and put that back into getting people together that are like minds, whether it's ladies in the game, as I call the, the women's initiative, or we get together at the NBA all-star game and just have cocktails, no pretense, no conference, just conversation and making sure you met somebody. So like I talked about, it's easier to do business if you have a relationship and a shared understanding of who that person is. So that's what Muscle Sports is. We also have some extensions that we're working on to support summer interns, which is really exciting. So they get exposure to our network as well. And thankfully, um, no jerks or no other word in this industry. So most of my, my friends are uh, happy to share, which is great. So it makes myself sports pretty easy because I'm getting by with a lot of help from my friends. That's with great. So yeah, nice. Wait, with my Beatles record in the background, of the, of the, for, for those who've seen, seen the video side of this. Um, Raleigh, thank you so much. That was terrific. Real so pleasure. much fun, you guys. Great way yeah. to spend so you have to come visit us. You have to come visit us on campus when we get back to campus. This is our campus right now, uh, pretty virtual, but hopefully sometime before the end of 2020, we'll be back in uh, Morningside Heights. So come up and visit. It'd We'd be an honor. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Okay. Um, Joe, thank you for a good show. Yeah, it was great. Thanks to our special guest producer, LJ Holmgren, for helping us out today. Always appreciate it, LJ. Um, and guys, uh, to the audience, thank you again for listening. Please check us out. Um, check out the other shows. We, as Joe might have mentioned, or maybe this was in the pre-call, that we released a lot of podcasts that actually go back to January, but there's still a lot of really good conversations uh, from that little uh, trove that was built around the Super Bowl. So check out those shows. If you have any feedback for us, reach out to us on Twitter, at Joe Fav, at ConvergenceTR. Um, send us a note. We're happy to get some feedback. And if you have any specific questions, we're happy to answer those too. So thanks again to Raleigh Gray uh, from Athlete Exchange Wasserman on a terrific conversation. Guys, we'll talk to you soon. Stay well. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.